Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, Virginia Tech fans, and welcome in to episode 131 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Sort of. We'll get to that in a minute. Today, there's so much to talk about. We'll go over over Virginia Tech's announcement of the Keep Jumping campaign, what's happening in the Big Ten and Pac-12, the situation at UNC, and what all of that means for Virginia Tech. Plus, we'll talk about the issues Virginia Tech has getting transfers approved. And if we got time after all that, we'll take questions from our message boards. It's all coming up on the Tech Sideline podcast. Welcome back. I'm TSL founder and general manager, Will Stewart. I've got with me TSL managing editor, Chris Coleman, and hosting today is Virginia Tech freshman, Nick Brown. But first, I'm going to hog the mic for a little bit, so Nick's going to have to sit tight. So we're doing things a little different today. Today is audio only from a Zoom call between the three of us. So I'm in the high-tech studio, sort of, sitting at my desk. Chris Coleman is at home, and Nick is in his dorm room at OSHAG or O'Shaughnessy, if you want to be all proper. So we've never done this before, but we'll give it our best shot. And so what we're doing here is when we first started the TSL podcast, we it was audio only, and then we added video later. And, you know, I, I held on hope that the longest time that we could just keep doing our whole video thing on the set, and and I've, I've finally accepted that we need to be able to set up to do this thing remotely and practice uh, distancing and all that good stuff. So we are starting back at ground zero with the audio and uh, we'll look at our video, our Zoom video later and then figure out ways to improve that. And eventually we will get uh, podcast producer Malcolm Stewart back in here and we will learn how to stream a, uh, a Zoom call and uh, get back to doing it on Facebook Live, doing it on YouTube and, and all of the uh, um, audio channels that we're on. So all that said, a couple of notes. Um, a lot of you have been asking us to get on Spotify and Google Podcasts, and we've done both of those, so you can find us now on Spotify and Google Podcasts. Now, important distinction, we're hosted on SoundCloud, so when we upload the, uh, the audio to SoundCloud, it's immediately available. And from that point on, it gets distributed to all these other podcast places through an RSS feed. So it doesn't happen immediately. So I, I don't know how long the lag is. It, it won't appear on Spotify immediately, but it will show up, I think, generally within a few hours. I don't know how often they check their RSS feeds or updating. So that's uh, item number one. So we're happy to be on Spotify and Google Podcasts in addition to Apple iTunes and, and all the other places we are. And uh, item number two, we are looking for a podcast sponsors. If you're the kind of business who likes for people to know that you exist and you like to have customers, and most businesses do, hit us up. Email me at will at techsideline.com. We'll tell you all about how we can promote you to our thousands upon thousands of listeners. Um, and when we're doing video, we've got thousands of viewers too. And remember, we're, we're working our way back to video. So speaking of podcast sponsors, this week and every week, the TSL podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm. 
dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended tens of thousands of people charged with moving violations. So for a free consultation with Jonathan Fisher, class of Virginia Tech, 1998, call any time, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031, 1-800-680-7031, or email the Fisher Law Firm at info at fisherlegal.com. So house cleaning out of the way and intros out of the way, let's get straight to our first guest slash host. Uh, he's going to be a guest for a few minutes, and then uh, we're going to turn it over to him, and he's going to host. So he's actually a hybrid, which is a really hot word in college academics these days. All right, so we're talking about uh, Nick Brown, a freshman in Bill Roth's sports media and analytics program. So welcome back to the podcast, Nick. You've actually been on it before and been hosting before, so welcome back. Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad to be back. It's a little different being in a smaller room than the than the high tech facility that they have at the y'all have at the CRC but uh it's 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 different all right so um so let's drill down into that you are class of 2024 so you just got on campus and SMA sports media and analytics is a major now correct mm -hmm. that is I, correct i think that actually started last year so you are not majoring in communications and focusing on SMA. You are majoring in SMA, which is really cool. That's an important distinction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, yeah. and I think, Chris, help me out on this, or Nick, one of you guys might be able to help me out on this. I think I saw that communications is now a school at Virginia Tech. I believe that's accurate. Yeah. So what does that mean? Because you got the School of Business, School of Engineering, is, so there now, like, is there now a dean of the School of Communications? You know, I, I, I really should have done our research before we went live. What do you know about it, Nick? Uh, it was about two weeks ago. They just kind of announced it on Twitter. And then uh, if you read into it, uh, yeah, they will have a dean uh, for it. And then that's – so it's brand new. I'm not sure, again, if it's starting this year or next year it's going to be the school. Um, so dean I, Bill Roth. <laughs> um, um, Dr. Bob Ditt might have something to say about that. Um, but so I remember when Malcolm was applying to Tech, I think they had seven schools. So I guess that means they have eight now. I don't know. Um, too bad we're not on Facebook Live so people can correct us if we're wrong. Um, so anyway, that's a big deal. And man, look what happens. Bo Roth comes back to Virginia Tech and just completely transforms things. Um, so, Nick, uh, you are an OSHAG. We are recording. I forgot to mention this at the top of the show. This is August 18th at about noon. It's a Tuesday. And you moved on on Friday, right? I did move on Friday. Yeah. So, um, so for people that are, like, are not local and actively involved in Virginia Tech stuff, they don't have kids that go here, tell us about that process. Tell us about your day Friday. So I moved in, my move-in time slot that you receive, well, you get to choose your time, uh, the day, and then your move-in slot. You get two hours, and you're allowed two guests to help move you in. Um, mine were obviously just my parents. Um, and that was from 5 o'clock in the afternoon to 7 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and then after that two hours, your parents are not kicked off campus, but it's like, hey, you got to get out of the building. Um it's a little bit more relaxed when I had the last shift. So, I mean, it's not like they're, they're another wave of, of people are coming in. Um, but it was basically like once it's seven o'clock, parents have to leave the building and only uh, I was allowed to be in the building. Um, but 
before, unless you have the morning uh, uh, time slot, you would have to uh, get tested for Corona, obviously. Uh, mine was at 3.30 that um, afternoon. And you'd park in the south end zone. Um, you'd enter the gates down there. Um, and it felt kind of weird because you're walking in the lane stadium, walking the gates, the rhino uh, the Rhino people are standing there. So it feels like you're going into game, but it's a lot less fun than going into a football game. Yeah, no um, yeah so I got in there. They had booths. There's probably around 20 booths set up. And it was a really quick process, uh, really quick. I walked right up, and they took me. Um, and so how do, they, how do they know who you are? So you have, you have to show your email, your Hokie passport, and a driver's license the email of showing that this is your time slot to be tested. And then you're allowed in the gates. You go upstairs into – you show, again, your driver's license upstairs into the concourse. Um, and then they say, all right, you go to this booth. And then I went to that booth, and um, woman in there, full gown, full mask, face shield also, uh, gloves, obviously. And uh, it wasn't the full, full corona test where they shove it – straight up to the back of your brain. Um, <laughs> so what they, did they do? They swabbed the inside of your nostrils, and uh, and I, I, it's not fun, but it's also a lot better than um, than getting it shoved into the back of your brain. Yeah, some, um, some of the original, it was like they showed these really long yeah. um, sticks with the, with the Q-tip on the end, and, mm -hmm. and I imagine they just kind of went all yeah, the way all the way up, all the way up. That actually makes me want to stop going to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it made you want to stop listening and get off the podcast. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, okay. So not too invasive and you weren't like yeah. retching or anything like that. Right. No, so that was, that was three 30 in the afternoon. And then they moved you, you moved in at five o'clock, five to seven o'clock. Yeah. And that's a quick turnaround on that test. It's yeah. No. When did you, when did you get the results? My results, that was kind of nerve wracking. Uh, obviously, like I, I knew for the most part I was safe. Um, my mom was tested earlier the week. She works at a nursing home, uh, and she tested negative earlier the week. So I was like, all right, likelihood of me test positive is rare. But I was still even you know, nervous. Um, I got it Sunday afternoon, early okay. afternoon, around two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, my cousin who got his taken in the morning, uh, same Friday. He moved in also Friday. He got his taken at ten thirty. And he got his results Saturday at like 1130 at night. So it's, okay. it's roughly so, around. So there is a window where if you do test positive, if you do happen to have it, you're still in that dorm room around a bunch of other yep. people. It's a very short window, a day or two, but it's still there. Right. And, so at this point, you know, by, by the time people are listening to this, most of the students would be moved in. Mm -hmm. um, so really it's a, it's a point of discussion versus – Pay students, pay attention to this. This is how long it's going to take, and yeah. you need to be really careful for that 48 hours or so. Mm -hmm. And um, so then that means, obviously, strict rules in the dorms. Um, that's going to happen all throughout the whole semester. So tell us about those rules. So number one is, obviously, wear a mask everywhere in the dorm except your room. Now, if someone's in your room, besides your roommate, everybody has to wear a mask. Um, basically it's like the old like joke oh if the ra knocks quick hide the beer you know it's like <laughs> oh quick put on your mask you know um so people still are very following that very strictly and for the most part people aren't going into other rooms 
Everybody's just kind of hanging out in the common area. Everything's spaced out six feet apart. Everybody's wearing masks. Um, Can you get a JR, I assume, for, for not wearing a mask? Yeah, Do you know what JR means, Nick? It's uh, oh, still a yeah. thing. Kind of, you get a, it's like a slap on the wrist, basically. Okay. Well, yeah. it stands for judicial review. And uh, when, when I was living in Newman in mm-hmm. 1984, uh, I never got a JR, but I knew quite a few guys who did. You don't want to get too many of those. I got, I got one one time. Uh, it, it was delivered to me, but it was for someone who was drinking with a big group in a different dorm. And he told the RA his name was Chris Coleman. <laughs> so, so but, but they looked, they looked up, uh, but he left before he could show his ID. So they looked up, oh, are there any Chris Coleman's at Virginia Tech? Sure enough, there was one in Miles Hall, so it must have been me, right? So, bam, there, there's my JR. So that reminds me of if you Google Chris Coleman, don't, don't you get like you get, you get the mayor of some town in Minnesota, uh, a, right? Yeah, I think he ran for governor of, of Minnesota, <laughs> but he was mayor of St. Paul. Uh, is it, and isn't there also a mass murderer named Chris yes, Coleman? Yes, he, he murdered his wife and his entire family to, <laughs> to, to quote, uh, to, to, so he could be with his sultry lover or something like that. That's what the article says. Yeah. Oh, that, that, and, then, and then there was Chris Coleman was the, uh, was the manager of the Welsh national football slash soccer team. So every now and then, you know, when, when Wells was playing a game, I, I'd get an angry tweet about the horrible formation I used in that, in that game that day. <laughs> <laughs> man, man we've gotten way off track here. yeah we, we have anyway <laughs> so nick uh, let me let me ask one one or two more questions i mean then we'll move on to talking about virginia tech athletics although this is, this is virginia tech related stuff so it's important um have they told you what the penalties are for um violating these procedures and things and and let me point out that University of Louisville. Now, this was in the athletic department. Uh, two or three of their men's soccer players like had a big party, probably about three weeks ago, and that caused a rash of positive tests in the athletic department. And I think they kicked these three kids off the team and out of school. So, what have they told you is going to happen if you don't adhere to all these guidelines? Um, so, basically, I, what I've heard the rumor is you get like three slaps on the wrist before you're sent home. Um, for the most part, though, I don't think there's really a big worry about getting that because everybody's wearing masks. And what's, what surprised me the most was the amount of people wearing masks outside. Right. That was, I mean, it, obviously, if you're outside, you can take your mask off as long as you're six feet apart. And there's no really rules to not wear a mask unless you're with a group of friends outside. Um, but the fact that everybody's like, even if you're just walking on the drill field, people are walking alone and they're wearing a mask. Like it's, it's really, it's not strange, but it's surprising the amount of people, like you feel kind of guilty for taking your mask off, even outside. Um, so there's that aura around campus where it's like, don't, it's like, don't take your mask off. Even if you're outside alone, it's weird. Yeah, so my daughter Annalise moves in uh, Wednesday morning. She'll be a freshman, and she's moving in, in, in at 11 a.m. And uh, so uh, we're we're gonna. I mean, she she'll she'll be good, you know. But mm-hmm. we are gonna have the conversation with her, and and I don't know if she caught the news about UNC, and we'll segue into that nicely here in a minute. But uh, you know, so my message to her is, if you don't want to be coming back home to live at home about two or three weeks from now mask up and do what they're telling you to do because i don't think any freshman uh 
once they've made that jump from high school to being on campus, wants to go back home with their parents two or three weeks later. I don't think any parents wants to move, want to move them out of a dorm two weeks after moving them into a dorm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Did, that, did I leave that unsaid? I don't want her back <laughs> home either. I love her, but it's time to go. <laughs> all right so uh with that said nick i will let you uh take over from here on and uh um good luck and uh let's have at it let's talk virginia tech sports all right well uh first i guess topic isn't really virginia tech sports but you kind of segued into it um down chapel hill uh unc has had their hands filled with uh full with covid cases in their first week back um in their first wave of students and they tested 954 students. It resulted in 130 students returning positive, which is a 13.6% positive test results. And they uh, um, also seen multiple clusters of students' cases appear. They, uh, they say a cluster is five or more cases from one central point, so a dorm or a uh, or a frat house or something. Now, in the case of UNC, wasn't it three dorm clusters and a frat house cluster? Yes, that yeah. is correct. So they are, and it's blown up. They also have almost, it's almost up to 200 pending uh, results that they think are also positive. Now you compare this to Notre Dame, who tested um, their amount of students. They only had, I think, 1% or very low number. is less than 2% of positive test results out of all of the, the entire campus, including faculty, staff also. Meanwhile, UNC has a 13.6% positive student test results in their first week of testing, and that's obviously just going to keep going up. So uh, one of one of the uh, people I heard, I listened to a lot of Sirius XM this this last week and yesterday. Um, I tend to, I, I, you know, you and I talked about this, Nick. I avoid watching college football live and listening to Sirius XM, ESPN, U radio. I like the hosts and all that, but during normal times, all they talk about is the SEC, the Big Ten, Alabama, et cetera, et cetera, and it's boring for me, a Virginia Tech fan. But the stuff they're talking about these days affects all of college football, so I've been listening to people, and they had on the, uh, and this is just a, a small anecdote related to what you were talking about, they had on the uh, Notre Dame writer for The Athletic, and they asked him what he thought about how seriously students were, were taking this up at Notre Dame. And he basically said, you know, Notre Dame's different. Um, he, he didn't really explain what he meant by that other than to say Notre Dame already lives in their own kind of bubble. So mm -hmm. he said they were taking it seriously and doing a good job. And, and to your point, that uh, supports that. They certainly did a better job than uh, UNC did. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. uh, you know, the fact UNC didn't require testing, right? Yeah, yeah, they didn't require testing. I also very, think, very important point. Yes. Yeah, and I also think Notre Dame's, you know, located, you know, more centrally. A lot of those UNC kids, I mean, they live close to the beach, right? So a lot of them went to the beach over the summer, and you know what happened at Myrtle Beach? Everybody goes and hangs out in beach bars, and like half the cases that were traced to Roanoke over the summer or half the cases that happened in Roanoke were traced back to Myrtle Beach, going to beach bars and things like that. So, uh, you know, I, I think probably UNC students probably spent a lot of time at places like that over the summer, and now they just brought it back to campus with them, and then they did not require testing. But even the fact, uh, Nick, like you said, tech requires testing, but there's still a 24- to 48-hour turnaround. Mm -hmm. So if somebody did, like, like if your roommate had it, 
you'd still be living with them a day or two and you wouldn't know it. Exactly. Yeah. So you say going into this conversation that it's not really related to Virginia Tech athletics and it is because, you know, what happens next? And one of the things that UNC said when they, they put out their press release. So now they're, from what I understand, they're trying to drive their dorm occupancy down to 25%, mm-hmm. which means to do that, I think they'd have to send home five or 6,000 kids who are currently living in dorms, Yeah, either send them to hotels or send them home or whatever. They've already announced they're going completely online with their classes. And their press release said something like, if you have special needs, a special situation, or you're an athlete, you can stay on campus. So that led to some cynical tweeting about how, oh, look at UNC building their athletic bubble. Um, so this is related to athletics because it, it, it ties into how does the university respond when situations like this occur and how does that affect athletics? In UNC's case, they crafted it so they're not having to send their, their freshman football players out of the freshman dorm or whatever, you know, so, so it is related and it's all about now, remember um, the, the ACC has not had a final vote yet on the presidents and chancellors on whether or not to play football. So this is absolutely really important because where do you think the UNC chancellor stands right now? Uh, he stands on plane. He's a football guy. Remember I've written about him. Well, yeah, good for him. So well, that, I, I say that because he's a football guy, but I don't, I don't know it for a fact. But. Right. So um, you, you know, they're, they're everybody around the ACC is paying attention. So anyway, back to you, Nick. Yeah. So I mean, like you said, that does relate to us. Um, we're gonna play him, and then of course Liberty. Uh, that's another uh, school that'll be playing not in the ACC, but they do play three ACC teams. And they're also Hugh Freeze, their football coach, announced, oh, we're not testing unless they're showing symptoms, which Liberty, with the amount of money they have, seems a little ridiculous. So specifically, and and I'll tee Chris up for this because I know he probably has something to say about this. Specifically, it was Freeze talking to the media, and he said something about how they haven't had any positive tests in the last three weeks, or it was a very low number. And a media member followed up with, well, when was the last time you tested? Freeze said, "Eh, like two weeks ago. Um, So... Chris, we, we talk all the time about how we wish Virginia Tech would be more open and more transparent, mm-hmm. and there's such a thing as being a little too transparent, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, we always talked about how the program was too open under Frank Beamer with BeamerBall.com, and you could literally find out anything you wanted just about. Uh, and now it's too closed off, and, you know, I think Virginia Tech has struggled to find the happy medium but, you know, there are pluses and minuses to both sides of it. Um, Liberty strikes me as the school that would have enough money to test regularly. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Hugh Freeze is a football coach, man, and he's paid to win football games. And I, I think probably – and he's an SEC guy. I think when it comes down to it, he would rather win football games with – you know, players who may or may not have coronavirus, as long as they're not showing symptoms, uh, I think the way he sees it is if they're not showing symptoms, they're fine. Go play. Uh, that's the way some people are. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not knocking anybody's opinion on, on how they would deal with this because there's obviously so many of them. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly whatever Virginia Tech is doing w- with, with their testing practices and everything like that, I, I, 
I think whatever they say, whatever you say, you can get criticized for by somebody. So, you know, sometimes it is better to say nothing at all. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, so, uh, back, back to listening to college sports radio. Um, and, and Nick, I can't remember if this, if this is later in the podcast. Yeah, we are going to talk about the big 10 and the PAC 12 later on in the podcast. So I will, uh, I'll uh, I'll save what I was about to say for then. So uh, you know, whatever's next, have at it. All right. Well, uh, we'll just you know, as you brought it up, so we'll go in uh, right into that. The other the other big news, obviously, around surrounding college football in general, is uh, the Big Ten is under siege by media, players, coaches, and even some of the athletic directors. Uh, the Penn State athletic director, Sandy Barber, was quoted as saying, "It is un." She said, "It is unclear to me." Whether or not there was a vote, no one's ever told me there was. And then she followed that statement with, I just don't know whether there actually was a vote by the chancellors of presidents. Talking that saying the Big Ten announced, oh, we had a vote from someone saying that we were going to move it to spring. Then she announced, I never heard anything about that. Obviously, the athletic director should know about voting to move sports, the collegiate sports in her school to the spring um so that's that raises an eyebrow there that hmm like she didn't hear about that and then also uh this week uh extremely high profile players from the big 10 led by justin fields who created a petition to reverse the conference's decision and last time i checked i think last night it was up to over 200 and some thousand signatures yesterday it was two hundred fifty thousand, so it's probably approaching three hundred thousand by now yeah and then Trevor Lawrence last week, uh, obviously the ACC hasn't moved anything and they've said we're going to play, but he started the hashtag we want to play uh, on Twitter with his big uh, post. Um, and that was even before the Big Ten and Pac-12. That was right before when the rumors started coming out Big Ten was going to move it. Um, and he's been adamantly vocal about allowing players to opt in. If you get the – basically his main point is – you get the option to opt out of the season. Why can't we opt into playing? So uh, big, big props to Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields for taking these leadership roles throughout the, basically the whole country. Uh, yeah. So, so the sequence there was um, what are we? We're, it's Tuesday the eighteenth. So, not this past weekend of the fifteenth and sixteenth, but the one before that of the eighth and ninth. You know. Uh, Everybody came out with their schedules the week before that. So, so we were all full of optimism. Everything was looking good. And then the rumors or, or information started coming out uh, about 10 days ago that the Big Ten was going to cancel and the Pac-12 would probably follow. And that was over the weekend. And then on Monday, that's when, you know, Trevor Lawrence and a whole bunch of players and coaches started saying, uh, we want to play. And there were, there were letters from uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh wrote a letter can't remember who else wrote a letter. Uh, Scott Frost did a, I, I gather, what was an impromptu press conference. And that was on the Monday, and or maybe Frost was the next day. Point being that the Big Ten announced that they were, I'm going to call it canceling, that they were canceling the 2020 fall football season. Mm-hmm. And there was this huge, almost a revolt, you know, where, uh, Nebraska was like, uh, wait a minute, we're going to look around and see if anybody wants to play. And Scott Frost went and, and basically said, you know, we need to play. And 
it's it it was surprising to me. I have a lot I have a lot of respect for the Big Ten and how they handle their business, but this was very just disjointed and very contentious. And so back to what started this whole segment was Sandy Barber saying that blows my mind. Like, wait a minute, you're a Big Ten athletic director. You haven't talked to your school president. You haven't had a conversation and your president didn't say, yes, Sandy, we did vote on it. It was, you know, let's make something up. It was eight to six. It was actually kind of close, which is one of the rumors going around. And Sandy, here's how I voted and why. They haven't even had that conversation, and it's it's almost it's a week later that Sandy's saying that. So that really blows my mind. Well, that's possible that they didn't have uh, the vote. It's also possible that Sandy Barber really, really wants to play football, and is just trying to make them look bad, maybe to a certain extent, to get some public pressure to play football. I, I don't know. That's possible. Um, I, I think. If, if that's the case, if they actually didn't have an official vote or anything like that, then it's, it's really surprising that a bunch of people who make six and seven, seven figures in charge of these big public universities and conferences can actually do that. I mean, how, 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 do, how do they botch that, right? How is that even possible for people who in those positions to botch something like that? And, and I, I think – I've been in favor of playing from the beginning, and I, I've said why. If, if you're not going to play under the pretense of protecting athletes from coronavirus, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because if they're not playing football, then they're going to be doing something else in a less structured env- environment, and you're more likely to get coronavirus, in my opinion, with less if, if you have no structure in your life. Um, now, I think Nick Saban finally came out this past week and basically said what I just said, and a lot of other people are starting to a say A lot of I, players I, have said that. I've, I've been preaching on our boards for the last two months. Nobody else from a national scale jumped in and tried to, and tried to change the narrative. Always, all we've heard for the last three, four, five months is, though they shouldn't play, they shouldn't play, they shouldn't play. Well, anybody who had the opinion that they should play was staying silent. Right, until and last until Monday. last week. Nick Saban should have been saying this three months ago. I mean, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, like it's like nobody realized. How could you not realize it was going to come to this point? Right? Now, you can tell Chris feels strongly at this because you can hear him banging on his desk. Yes, I am, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, they should have started this rhetoric months ago, in my opinion. Um, I, I, it, it, for it to, it's, I think it's probably too late to make an impact now, but they should have started it months ago. Well, uh, and, now, and I, th- I think that I think you're right. And I, I think people just thought they'd listen to all the protocols and all the plans and schedule making. And I think they thought everything was going OK. And then suddenly they found out it wasn't. And that's when the voices started to get raised. I mean, nothing happened that I didn't expect. Really? I mean, but anyway, and I'll, I'll, ch- I'll also talk a little bit about Justin Fields. You know, people are talking about oh, the liability of universities and lawsuits. You know, what if somebody gets the coronavirus and then sues, sues the school or the conference or whatever like that? Well, Justin Fields is draft eligible after this year. And, you know, he's going to be a pretty high pick, I'm sure. Well, the fact of the matter is, like, if you're – if he maybe wants to be a top five pick, maybe the number one overall pick, I don't know anything about his draft status personally, but – if he's going up against Trevor Lawrence for that spot and Trevor Lawrence plays 
because the ACC says Trevor Lawrence can play, but Justin Fields doesn't play because the Big Ten won't let him. How much money could that cost Justin Fields in the NFL draft? Man, you're, you're talking rarefied air where you're talking the top two quarterbacks so, in the draft are competing to no, – Right, right. So, so what, if, what if the Big Ten's decision to not play costs Justin Fields money? Mm. So is that a lawsuit waiting to happen? I bet the administrators didn't even really think about that. So we're sitting here talking, and I wanted to make sure that we weren't out of date because we're talking about Sandy Barber saying this. And so I pull up the window and I Google Big Ten football, and I don't see any articles that are refuting what Sandy said. They're, like Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, did not say at some point this morning, heck yeah, we voted. You know, Nobody's countering what she said. But one of the headlines that caught my attention was um, – Columbus Dispatch, well-known attorney, believes Justin Fields' actions could result, could result in reversal by the Big Ten. <laughs> so when, I, when I've listened to guys talk on, on the radio, they don't think that the Big Ten is going to reverse field. They think they're going to keep their season canceled. But it's interesting. Another one of the headlines is uh, parents of Big Ten players seek to make conference uncomfortable on the decision to postpone football season. So, you know, uh, where have you gone, Jim Delaney? Uh, the Big yeah. Ten is it's it's this is bad PR. Not that PR matters. They're still the richest conference in the country, and they're going to stay the richest conference in the country. Uh, one of the discussions I heard last week, which I thought was completely silly, was uh, somebody was saying, um, "Oh, this is going to set Big Ten football back ten years if these other leagues play." No, it's not. They've still got the best network, the most money, the best facilities, the most tradition. If if the Big Ten doesn't play this year and the other three leagues do, never mind the Pac-12. We're not even going to talk about that. <laughs> no, the, the other three leagues do play. I'm telling you, man, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, they'll be right back where they were a year from now. Don't listen to that garbage. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I don't think it hurts them any long term. Um, their their inability to handle the situation and no, it's hard to have everybody on board these days with whatever decision you make but uh it, do, it does seem like they at least they didn't go through the proper channels the proper protocols didn't do the proper communication with the players and now they face you know kind of a firestorm of uh of blowback so, so to speak and I, I understand that. I don't think they'll reverse their decision, but they do have a window to reverse their decision if they felt like they had to or they wanted to because they don't start until September 26th, right? Right, correct. Right. So they've, yeah. got, they, they've got time. I mean, that's five weeks. So five and a half weeks. Five, five and a half weeks. Days. So if they wanted to reverse it, they could reverse it. Now, they'd have to do so, in my opinion, within the next week or so, but, but they, they, they could do it if they felt like it was necessary or that they should. Um. Oh, what did I want to add to that? Uh, yeah, so there's pressure on the ACC because they're going to start two weeks earlier. Um, so we'll see. Um, oh, I, I know. I wanted to draw a contrast between how the Big Ten handled it and how the Pac-12 handled it. There's little to no transparency in the Big Ten's decision-making process, whereas the Pac-12, first of all, to my knowledge, no coaches, no administrators, and no players from the Pac-12 are fussing about their decision publicly. Um, the Pac-12 also released a 12-page document, which I haven't looked at, I haven't read it, but they released a 12-page document about what led to their decision. So they certainly handled the rolling out of this a lot better than the Big Ten did. Well, if the Big Ten didn't even officially vote on it, it seems like they're pretty unorganized. So I guess that's not too surprising, is it? 
Yeah, this could wind up costing uh, Kevin Warren his job in, in short order. Uh, but we'll see. You know, I um, uh, I don't believe in firing people the instant something first goes wrong. You know, but it's certainly right. not a good look. Yeah, and then obviously, I mean, we'll see in these coming days. Maybe other athletic directors, maybe from Ohio State or uh, Michigan, they say something about. Um, uh, they may come out and be like, hey, yeah, Sandy's right. We never heard anything. So, I mean, you said no one's refuting her, but also no one's also kind of like – no one also is agreeing with her and being like, yeah, hey, same happened over here. So maybe in the next couple of days we do see one or two other athletic directors announce that, you know. Um, well, we're going to go from now – uh, national news to more Virginia Tech news. Uh, biggest headline for Hokie news besides students returning to campus is the startup and the new fundraiser Keep Jumping. It was announced last night, so that would be August 17th. And that's trying to cover the possible loss of money estimated around a minimum of $50 million. There's three options oh, on how to produce. $50 million. Yes, 50, that's five zero. Um, there's three options. You can convert these. This is straight from the, uh, the Hokie sports website, uh, convert your 2020 ticket purchases and pay receipt gift into a tax deductible donation for 2020 and receive five times priority points for your gift. You could credit your ticket purchase toward a prepaid account that can be used to buy future football game tickets in 2020 or 2021 uh, while either leaving your per seat gift in 2020, also earning five times priority points, or by crediting your per seat gift toward 2021. Then the last is obviously just receive a refund on your ticket purchase and or per seat gift. And then y'all can go into more depth about that. Yeah, so, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a season ticket holder, so... I waited late to buy season tickets just to see what would happen, but I, I ended up ordering them close to the deadline because I figured, okay, I doubt they'll let anybody in the stadium, so they'll probably give me this back this money anyway, right? But I didn't think it all the way through about there would probably be different options and everything, and that makes sense. Uh, I, I've gone back and forth on, on, on what to do with mine. I know I wasn't going to put my purchase toward future ticket sales. Uh, you know, I, I figure like, you know, Virginia Tech, if I do that, you know, that, that's, I'm just redistributing money from one year to the next and Virginia Tech's going to lose money in one of those years either way. Mm -hmm. uh, I could get my money back and that's kind of like a second stimulus, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's basically a second stimulus check you get, you get for the year. That's how I'd view it. You know, so so I, how, how much did you donate and how many tickets did you buy? I bought two tickets. I forget what my per seat minimum were for my tickets. So I don't know exactly what I don't know exactly what I would six hundred dollar level maybe. Uh, maybe maybe four fifty. Shoot, I I don't know. Um, okay, so it might not, it might not, be something like that. It's not like you're dropping five grand, but you're also not dropping twenty five bucks. You're, yeah you're yeah kind yeah. Of, a lot of people are where you are. Right, right. Well, uh, so I've, I've pretty much decided I'm, I'm going to count mine as a donation. Um, uh, so, like, it's not a ton of money. Uh, it's enough where, you know, if I got it back, I'd be like, hey, cool. It's, it's, it's a stimulus. But at the same time, for me personally, I'm like, you know what, if, if I can't afford this, then I probably shouldn't really be buying it anyway, mm -hmm. right? 
So I'm going to go ahead and put it towards a donation. Um, the fact that it counts five times for priority. Uh, I don't really care where I sit or anything like that, but I think that's a smart decision by Virginia Tech as an incentive. Yeah, there's a carrot there. Yeah. yeah um, so I, I don't really have a dog in this fight. Um, uh, I piggyback off of a, a higher level donor. Um, so I am a member of the Hokie Club. I put a certain amount in. But uh, when it comes to buying tickets, I get together. It's me and a friend of mine who's in the same boat as me. And then we piggyback on a guy who donated, uh, donates a fair amount of money. He's a lifetime golden hokey. So that's so we can get better seats. Now, that said, what he pays for the per seat minimums, when, when I order a ticket through him, I pay for the ticket. And I pay the, to him the per seat minimum for um, being able to sit in that seat. And I don't care. You know, I'm just like, whatever, uh, uh, go ahead and Virginia Tech can keep the money. And, and if I have a chance to go to a game this fall, I'll buy a ticket at that point in time. Um, and I'll admit that I'm a little biased here because I'm in a similar situation where I run a website that, that leans heavily on people um, paying subscription dues to read our content. Well, if there is no football, and if there is no basketball for the next year, I don't want all my customers bailing. I'm just like Virginia Tech. I don't want all my customers bailing. You know, we could tell our customers, hey, you know what? Uh, since there's no football this year, you can count your subscription towards next year. Yeah, I'm not doing that. That's not going to work for us for a year. We'd have to find something else to do. Yeah, right? so um, um, yeah. I, I do find it interesting that part of what they're offering you is the ability to get a refund on your donation. Most people thought your donation, that they would just keep it. Uh, I don't know that this is based on inside info. It's just us theorizing, hey, uh, they're going to keep your donation, and then they'll talk to you about the money you actually paid for tickets. But, but no, they're, they're going in and, and offering refunds on donations and tickets, which, uh, you know, that's, that's stepping out over the ledge there, man. So hopefully it goes well for them. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, and, you know, probably another reason I'll go ahead and give, just tell them to keep my money is, you know, work, work, living in Blacksburg for so long, working the job that we work, you know, I know plenty of people that work in that athletic department that if there's no football season and Virginia Tech didn't have the money, they will lose their jobs. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I see I see one guy that I, I know pretty well that works over there at the gym, and he works, uh, he works in the athletic department. And I know if his particular sport doesn't play this year, he's going to be furloughed for a year at least, right? You know, and I don't want that to happen to him. So, and not that my – measly 750 bucks or whatever it's going to end up being is, is going to keep him his job. But, you know, there, there's a lot of people over there at risk right now. So, and, and when you deal with those people on an everyday basis, like, like we do, it creates a little, little bit of a personal aspect to it as well. Yeah. I mean, the 50, that's the, that's the mind blowing part is the minimum estimated cost of $50 million. Right. And everybody talks like, Oh, well, Let's have Fuente, Mike Young, and Whit Babcock take a pay cut. And I'm sure they already have. But if they all took a 100% pay cut, that's $7 bucks a year. Yeah. You know, that apparently puts a dent in it. Yeah. yeah that's not going to get it done. No. So, uh, so, Nick, we need to take a break and uh, do a little sponsor promo for, for Jonathan Fisher. So uh, let's hear from Jonathan, and we'll be back in just a bit.
If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at fisherlegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, class of 98. Let's go Hokies. So once again, many thanks to Jonathan Fisher for sponsoring the TSL podcast. And again, if you have a business and you like customers, um, hit us up about a possible uh, TSL podcast sponsorship, and we, we'd love to have more sponsors. So uh, back over to Nick for the next topic of discussion. All right. So again, we're going to stick with uh, Virginia Tech News. Uh, recently, uh, Raheem Blackshear's pending eligibility um, his transfer waiver that's been pending for months now it was denied by the ncaa virginia tech fans uh sadly that does not come to the fans as a big surprise that that happened um this is now the ncaa's second time you kind of argue that burmeister getting denied was uh kind of an ncaa issue but not really um, but with Brock Kaufman and that whole deal with his mom and now Blackshear, um, some fans think, oh, these are pretty easy cases. If you look into it, into especially the Blackshear one, it's not as easy as we thought, like, oh, just to let him play. Um, but what really puts salt in the wound is, meanwhile, literally about a week ago, Maryland quarterback Talia Tagvaloa, Tua's little brother, was granted immediate eligibility within just a few weeks after announcing that he was transferring to Maryland. Um, so that's, I guess, really what's set off the Hokie fan base, that Talia gets it immediately and that Blackshear is denied and he had to wait a few months also. Well, it seems like quarterbacks get it all the time unless their name is Braxton Burmeister, right? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. As far as – I don't think the NSA is out to get for Virginia Tech. I, I think the Hoffman thing was probably misfiled. Uh, and I, I, I don't understand why it wasn't filed correctly on the appeal, but that, that, that's a whole other top topic. With, with, with regards to Blackshear, uh, there's some gray area. Yes, he had a coaching change, but he stopped playing four games into the season to take a red shirt, right? He stopped playing after the head coach and offensive coordinator got fired and there were an interim, and there was an interim head coach. So that's the point where he said, okay, I'm redshirting this year. And at that point, I guess, I'm guess i guessing he's sitting back and thinking, well, I'll, I don't know if I'll transfer or not. I'll wait and see who the next coach is, right? Mm-hmm. And, in fact, he did not officially enter the transfer portal until like two or three days before Greg Schiano got hired. Mm-hmm. So from probably from the NCAA standpoint, they're sitting back looking at it and saying, okay, he didn't necessarily leave – because there was a coaching change. His coach got fired in September and he decided to redshirt then, but he didn't actually enter the portal until the month of December. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think there's some gray area there and I don't know enough about the letter of the law to know how it's going to go. As far as the appeal goes. My gut instinct is it's not going to go well for Virginia Tech because it generally doesn't, right? But uh, I can understand why the NCAA made that ruling because 
he didn't expressly like say, oh, I'm leaving because it's not like, okay, Greg Schiano got hired and then he entered the transfer portal. Um, he decided to redshirt after his head coach got fired and then entered the portal before Schiano got hired, just before he got hired. So, you know, I, I don't know. You'd have to be a lawyer to interpret all, all, all that stuff probably. So I can understand why the NCAA would rule it the way they ruled it. I can also understand why Virginia Tech would expect him to get cleared. Mm -hmm. um, I hope he gets to play because I think he's a really good player who would play a really big role for the offense this year. I mean, I, I think he can – I think he could take his versatility and his ability to line up anywhere on the field and his, his ability in the open field. I, I think it could take Virginia Tech's offense from good to really, really good. Um, I, I, th I think he can be that type of player in this type of scheme with this coaching staff. So I certainly hope that, that he wins his appeal because I think, I think that could be worth a win, an extra win, maybe two for, for this year's team, depending on who tests positive for coronavirus on a weekly basis. Of course. Yeah, you know, we, we got to talk about this stuff like everybody's playing and the whole schedule's being played. Um, Fuente said that uh, they were, they've been practicing Blackshear 50-50 at running back and at receiver. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, just think about that. It's, it's like an H-back tight end. You know, you can keep personnel on the field and not tip your hand to the defense as to what you're going to do. Sure. And Fuente said he, he thought Blackshear could play three or four positions on either side of the ball. He's on either smart. side of the ball, that's but, right. Right, right. So he's got a high fo football IQ. And you remember the background here. He got recommended to Virginia Tech by Jerry Kill. Jerry Kill was his offensive coordinator a couple of years ago at Rutgers before Jerry Kill came to Virginia Tech. Yeah. So Jerry Kill knows the guy, works with him on a daily basis, knows his work ethic, knows his talent, knows his football IQ. So that was a mutual recommendation right there, say, with, with Jerry Kill saying, hey, Foo, you really ought to take this guy. He'd be a great fit for your system and your program. And Blackshear, you really need to go to Virginia Tech because they will know how to utilize you properly there. Hope they can get you cleared to play. So, <laughs> so it's been interesting to watch this conversation through, <clears throat> mainly through Hoffman and and Blackshear and and with Burmeister in there a little bit. Um, at first, when uh, the NCAA refuses a transfer waiver, Hokie fans get mad at the NCAA, you know, because NCAA. Um, then it starts happening a second time and a third time, and you start you can see the conversation in the among the fans. Um, I'm starting to think it's not them. I'm starting to think it's us. What are we doing wrong? Yeah. What are we not doing that, that other schools are doing that they're, they, they seem to be? Um, we might be suffering a case of, I only follow one team itis, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and we freely admit that. So fans are asking us, you know, what's, and, and this is actually one of the questions on the message board is, you know, uh, what, what is Virginia Tech, quote unquote, doing wrong? Folks, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. Do you think Whit Babcock and I are communicating about this on a daily basis? And Whit is telling me what forms got filled out and exactly how they presented it? Well, That's if they knew happening. what they were doing wrong, they would have fixed it by now, right? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so there's, this, there's this school of thought, and, and it may have some credence that uh, other schools are lawyering up, whereas Virginia Tech is just handing it over to the compliance department. And, and Chris, correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Fuente, in talking about it the other day, didn't he say, 
I'm not involved. It's our client, uh, compliance department. Right. So he was basically telling the media, hey, don't ask me. It's, it's, yeah, it's a I mean, compliance department. I mean, football coaches, uh, I mean, there's a reason we have an entire athletic department. I mean, a football coach doesn't, doesn't do everything. I mean, 20 years ago, he probably did. But not well, uh, well, I'm, well, Frank Beamer had John Belen. John Belen would have done it 20 years too, ago. Right. You know, yeah. uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a compliance thing. I mean, it's not like the, the head coach of the football program can fill out every single form of every single act of business that goes through the entire program or the entire athletic department. So yeah, that's a compliance issue. Um, I think there are football coaches out there with a big enough name that maybe if they placed, if they a well placed phone call could could move the needle a little bit, like a Nick Saban or somebody like that. Um, I I don't think Justin Fuente could. Um, I also don't. Oh my earpiece is falling out. (laughs) I don't. I don't think the NCA is out to get Virginia Tech. There there are 130 schools in FBS football and. A hundred and some in FCS football, and I, I mean Virginia Tech is a major program. Don't get me wrong, but in the grand scheme of things, Virginia Tech is like a gnat on a flea's butt as far as the NCAA is concerned, right? I it's mean, just, the, it's just another it's not, way of request, right? It's yeah, it's 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 just like it's not like they have a meeting and sit there and say, "Oh man, how can we screw Virginia Tech over today?" Right? Um, I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it's either bad luck or maybe we're not doing things quite like other schools are doing them. But, yeah, but I don't know that. I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to be involved in the process at Virginia Tech, and I'd have to know exactly what other schools were doing. It's all speculation. Yeah, and, and Whit Babcock and Justin Fuente aren't, aren't going to sit there and say to, to outside parties, uh, yeah, Here's the guy who handles our, our, our raver requests. And yeah, we think he screwed it up. You know, they're not <laughs> going to say stuff like that. Right. And also, although it does look like evidence is mounting um, that something's not right, that's not necessarily true. We're talking about a limited set of data. Now, I don't know if there's anybody out there that, that can take all 65 Power 5 schools, examine all of their waiver requests, and compile statistics about how it all came out. Sure, you could do that, but um, that's an awful lot of work. And well, really let's like do that. We as Virginia Tech fans know that Brock Hoffman grew up five miles outside the 100-mile radius or something right. like that, right? Uh, but we know that because we're Virginia Tech fans. So maybe there's like there's some Indiana player who got his waiver or his denied. appeal denied for the same thing. We don't know about it, you know, because we don't have time to know it, man. You know, when we wake up in the morning, so when we go to bed, we're focused in on well, what are we going to do for tech sideline today? Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm not going to take my time to, to embark on what would probably be a week long research project, maybe longer. You know? No, longer. Yeah. So, much longer. Uh, so, so to kind of sum it up, uh, who knows? You know, uh, maybe it is something Virginia Tech's doing wrong. Maybe it's just coincidence that they've had a couple of players that look like they should have gotten approved and didn't. I mean, Fuente used the word shocked. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, shocked and saddened. And people I'm, on Twitter were like, "Really, coach?" <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, so the fact that he's shocked means probably. I mean, he rarely says anything that drastic, right? Yeah. He he rarely gives any insight into his emotions, right? So the fact that he used those words 
if that's how he really feel, he probably turned back around and said, okay, something's going on here. We need to research what other schools are doing and we need to start doing it. I'm get, that's what I'd be doing if I were him. So may, maybe it does, maybe it is about lawyering up. I mean, that, that's a valid theory. I mean, I don't think the NCAA doesn't deal well with lawyers, right? I think that's – They try to avoid them, yes. Especially UNC's yeah, yeah, lawyers. The NCAA's resistance to lawyers is why they let UNC skate. Sure. Because the NCAA knew in their heart that what UNC did was wrong, but the minutia of the, of the legal stuff there, they thought, you know what, if we slap – UNC with huge probation, we're going to get sued and this is going right. to drag out and, and we give up. Although I don't know, they did have a big long legal proceeding that led up to that. I, I wonder, NCA probation these days is so light. It's such, such a slap on the wrist. You, you, you miss a bowl game, uh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you lose five scholarships and you have a few fewer evaluation periods, but there's so much money involved in football these days that I don't think that really matters. So I wonder if it was even worth it to UNC to spend all those millions of dollars to avoid two years of probation. I don't know so, that it actually was. It's a, it's, it's a valid, valid question. What would the punishment have been had they just looked at the NCAA and said, hey, you're right, do whatever. <laughs> so, somebody got put on probation recently. I forget what school it was. And if you read all the, if you read all the punishment and everything, it was everything I just said and then plus like a $5,000 fine. It's, it's, right. like, it's, it's like the NCAA is still using rules from 1972 when a $5,000 fine was a, a pretty big deal. Not a huge deal, but – Big enough deal for an athletic. Well, back department. in the 70s, that was somebody's job. $5, that was right. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it was a big deal back then. Now, Virginia Tech has a, almost a $100 million athletic budget, which seems big, but it's in the bottom half or bottom third of all, all Power Five schools. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not good by Power Five standards. And you're talking about finding one of them $5,000? Come on. If you really want to make teams stop cheating, start finding them in like $30 million. Uh-huh. I know payable over three years, not, not right. 30 years. Yeah. Mm. All right. Yeah. So I think so, we, I think we wore that topic out. You got anything else, Nick, or can, or do you think we're ready to move on to questions or? I think we're ready to move on to questions for right now. I've basically covered everything that we've got prepared. Um, All righty. So uh, I like this one from Hokey Hutch. On the uh, on the message boards, and um, so remember, Chris, when or and Nick, when discussing this, let's assume the whole schedule is going to get played, and let's assume that you're not going to, for example, lose the entire quarterback room to coronavirus one week. Yeah. So, what does success look like this season, and what does failure look like? Yeah, that's that's a really really good question. Um, let's assume everybody has all their guys. Um, well, the, the schedule toughened up. Uh, you basically you replace a winnable Penn State game. Like Tech could have won that game, sixty five thousand people in there. I think Penn State is good, but they're not like elite, like Clemson level. So you you replace a winnable game with. I'm not going to say it's unwinnable, but it's extremely unlikely. Like Clemson doesn't lose these days unless they play Alabama or LSU, right? Normal human beings can't beat Clemson. I, th- I think the yeah. last game they lost was at Syracuse. Or Syracuse, yeah. Now, yeah. they almost lost to UNC last year. That was close. Right, right. But it you're, was. You're, so, so, I mean, so you never know. You, you never truly know. 
but it's unlikely, extremely unlikely. So you kind of take off one that I think was a 50-50 game, maybe even a slight. I think te- I would have favored Tech slightly in the Penn State okay. game. Wow. Oh, yeah, because no film on Tech's defense for Penn State. And if anything, Justin Fuente has shown in his career is his teams this past year not notwithstanding, that was mostly a Willis issue. But, you know, with all those freshmen in 2017, they still beat West Virginia because West Virginia had no film. Uh, how, look how good they were early in 2016 when teams had no film. You know, like like if Tech hadn't fumbled the, the Tennessee game away, I mean, they would have smoked Tennessee. I mean, they were much better than Tennessee. So I, I think a Justin Fuente coach team where nobody knows what – that nobody has any film on is extremely good. So I think Virginia Tech could have and would have probably beaten Penn State early in the season. Well, now you have Clemson at the end of the season, a much more talented team, no fans in the stands in Lane Stadium, and they have a whole season to study film. Of and they have a lot of depth. You know, right, yeah, right. At that point in time, depth will become an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go from 60% chance of Virginia Tech beating Penn State to 10% chance of Tech beating Clemson. So tack an extra loss on there as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, I'd have to go back and do a comparison. Uh, obviously, you're replacing Middle Tennessee State with an ACC opponent. You're replacing South Alabama with an ACC opponent. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I think something like eight and three is reasonable. That, that's my take. Uh, I, I would cut to the heart of it and say that failure looks like losing to UVA and UNC. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. You know, and, and certainly UVA. Um, yeah, um, th- this year, I think tech fans might lose their minds. Um, so I've I've been warning people on the message board that the that the UNC storm is coming. If you look at the way they're recruiting, mm-hmm. um, the way they're stockpiling talent, and people say, uh, blah blah blah, coaching blah blah blah. Well, you know, uh, we we old guys remember twenty three years ago in the Gator Bowl when that same Mac Brown, a guy <laughs> people says can't coach, right. had basically an NFL level team. And he played against a Virginia Tech team that, that really shouldn't have been on the field with him. And that game wound up being 42-3. to three. So stop whistling past the graveyard. UNC yeah. is accumulating talent. And, and I guess I don't want to insult anybody on our message boards, but any reasonable person knows that UNC is going to be a handful in the coming years. Um, they're not quite ready for that yet, though. Right. So, so to so to give up that game and lose that game this year, I think will bother a lot of Tech fans, and certainly using losing to UVA twice in a row, that that's what failure looks like. Yeah, I, that that's a good point. I, I don't I don't see much of a chance of Tech losing to UVA this year. Now, granted, I thought UVA should have beaten Tech by double figures two years ago, and I thought I'm stomping on my desk again. Sorry, <laughs> I, I thought UVA should have easily won that game two years ago, and Tech won it. And I thought Tech was better than UVA last year, and UVA won it. So you never truly know. But again, that's our games early in the season, and they're not going to have any film on Virginia Tech's new defensive scheme. And, and, and UVA is not playing a game before they play Tech, right? Weren't they scheduled to? And then it yeah, BMI dropped that. Oh, it's going to be VMI. VMI dropped it. So, so although UVA will potentially have, uh, gosh, help me out. Who does Tech open with? NC State. State. So NC State, Tech's going to open with NC State. So UVA will have that film to look at. Right. Um, And Tech's not going to mess around with that. They're going to throw everything they got at it. And and to be fair, 
you know, UVA will now have the entire preseason to prepare for Virginia Tech. Just like they had three weeks to prepare for them last year, basically. They had a bye week, and then they had Liberty, and you can ignore Liberty. Yeah. Right? So they had three weeks to prepare for that game. And, but and UVA will have to step on the field not having played a game. Not having, not having played a game. And we know, we know they've got a new quarterback. So from that standpoint, you don't know exactly what to expect. But at the same time, I don't think he's probably too different than Perkins. I don't think they're going to sit out there and – I don't think they'll take us by surprise. I don't think they can take us by surprise. Okay. And, I, and, I do, and I think Tech has better players. I mean, that game last year was about I – mean, UVA's got some good players, don't get me wrong, but mostly last year's game was about Perkins having – he made the best throw of his career on, the, on, that, on that play and, down and the tech, right side. And Tech failed line. to contain him. Yeah. When, when you and I – both knew what a running threat he was. Tech failed to contain him yeah, early yeah, on. Yeah. And right. up um, sure. 14 um, points or whatever it was. Right, right. So I don't, I don't think there's much of a chance Tech is going to lose to UVA this year. Now, think about it, man. They can't win for losing. Let's say Tech does win that game. So UVA finally got the cut back last year, and they're not even going to be able to keep it for a full year. Yeah. I would feel say I felt sorry for them, but – you know. uh, so that's that's a that's a bummer that it, it won't be in front of a full lane stadium. So sure. uh, you know you gotta you gotta you know play the situation though. So Nick, any thoughts on that? Um, I saw the FPI released a couple days ago that they're predicting us to go nine and two with losses at Louisville and then against Clemson. And I was thinking about that. And I'm like, if we have only one loss entering the Clemson game, we'd be re- feeling pretty darn good entering that game oh man yeah and then if clemson well and we felt pretty good entering the miami game in 2017 when then they absolutely smoked it not smoked us but they Uh, was pretty good yeah yeah they Uh, beat pretty good that game yeah uh, imagine uh imagine actually beating clemson let's say the tech pulls that upset hey trevor has corona (laughs) and right right let's say let's say we beat them straight up and then the reward, and everybody, you're celebrating, you're slapping each other in the back. Woohoo! We just beat Clemson. We're going to the ACC championship game. Oh, and your reward is playing a pissed off Clemson seven days. The later. very next week. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'm sitting here looking. Uh, yeah, 2017, going to that Miami game. Virginia Tech was ranked 13th in the country, and they were Miami, top. Right. They're top 10 also. Yeah, Miami was number 10, and Tech was seven and one. Their only loss was to number two Clemson. Right. Um, and that was earlier in the year too. So we were feeling good. Oh, I remember that game now it was 28, 10 Miami, but it was one of those deals where wasn't that where Sean Savoy fumbled the ball, like on, uh, on, on my, basically Miami's goal line or didn't catch a pass or something. Mm-hmm. There, was, then, there were several moments. You, the, the main thing at that like point that is Phil, if, the main thing I remember about that game is the film on our offense was out at that point. I mean, we didn't have anything to hide. All our weaknesses had been thoroughly scouted, whereas in the early portions of the season, they had not. And at that point, it was what was it like the ninth or tenth game of the season, something like that. The book was out on Tech at that point. Yeah, it was the ninth game, so they so, lost so that, and then lost they lost Georgia the Georgia Tech. Tech game the very next week. Yeah, yeah, lost the Georgia Tech game because Jackson had gotten hurt against Miami, and remember, it took them forever. They didn't get back to Blacksburg until oh, like yeah. three o'clock in the afternoon, the day after the Miami game, so they missed a whole day of practice. Man, yeah. All right, so let's pick up the next question. Um, hang on a second. I'm clicking on the wrong tabs here. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. That, 
that that one question I was about to read is kind of contentious. Um, so I wanted to talk about this one. Justin Berkeley asks, now that it's sadly over, put Caleb Farley's career at Virginia Tech into context. Um, in your book, does he merit conversation among the best ever to play at Virginia Tech? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll jump on that one first, Chris and, and Nick, and then we can hear your uh, responses. Chris, I think you mentioned this in an article uh, years ago when Michael Vick declared for the NFL draft. Um, I wrote an article where I, I pointed out to people that Michael Vick was only in the Virginia Tech football consciousness for 16 months. Um, I mean, we heard about him the year that he redshirted, but he played against uh, JMU on a, in a, probably an early September day in uh, um, 1999. And then 16 months later, in the very first week of the year 2001, he declared for the draft and was gone. And I kind of look at Caleb Farley that way. The, the arc is different, uh, um, but he played... He's, his, his first game was against Florida State in 2018, correct? That's correct. Yeah. And then, you know, 16 months later, he's played his last game for Virginia Tech, and actually less than that because he didn't play the uh, last couple Yeah, the games. last two games, yeah. Yeah. So I think about that. But the other thing I think is that in, I don't know that I would slot him as one of the best ever. I don't think his run defense is good enough, mm -hmm. although he was the best pass defender in the country last year. Um. What I do think is he becomes to me like an Eric Green story in basketball. Um, when mm -hmm. Eric Green was a mediocre basketball player as a freshman and then led the nation in scoring as a senior. Um, Caleb Farley was not a good football player as a freshman and then basically was the best pass defender in the country the very next year. So for me, I can see myself saying over and over when people get critical of a young player, I can see me saying, don't forget, you got Eric Green and Caleb Farley. You don't know where this guy's career is going to go. Yeah, you got you got plenty of examples of guys improving throughout the course of their careers, and he's one of them. I will say this: he wasn't supposed to start as a redshirt freshman. If you recall, it was supposed to be Adonis Alexander who couldn't stay eligible, and then it was supposed to be Jeremy Webb who ripped his Achilles. So Caleb Farley struggled as a redshirt freshman, particularly against the run. We never would have known that if those other two things hadn't happened. And he would have stepped into a starting role as a redshirt sophomore, and we would have been all been like, oh, the guy's awesome, brilliant player development. He redshirted like everybody should, and then he sat behind two more experienced players as a Oh, I think we just lost Chris. Oh, no. <laughs> redshirt freshman, and then did we? No, you're back. Okay, you're back, you're I'm back. back. I'm back. Uh, my internet connection is unstable is what it says. Yeah, you're good. Man. Okay. So, at any you had me at unstable. Stupid, stupid podcast. <laughs> but, but at any rate, um, I think if he had not had to start as a redshirt freshman, we would have been praising Virginia Tech's player development ability. But right. instead, because those other two guys, their situations, he was forced into a starting role before he was ready. So we were all critical of him, even though he was not ready to set foot on a field in that role at that point. So. That's how I remember him. Like, we shouldn't have seen, like, his – how bad he was at tackling as a freshman because he shouldn't have been on the field at that point. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, I do think – like, he's certainly absolutely one of our – probably the top ten athletes to ever play at Virginia Tech. And his cover – his coverage ability was dominant. Um, so, he wasn't here for very long, unfortunately. We certainly didn't get to see the real Caleb Farley for very long. 
Um, and it's not his fault that coronavirus happened. Like he, he would have played, played this year, obviously, if it wasn't for that. So we would have gotten the real Caleb Farley for two years before he declared. So, so yeah, I mean, if I was, if I was doing a fantasy draft of Virginia Tech players tomorrow, I, you know, he'd probably be, he'd be in my top four or five for, for cornerbacks for sure. I mean, just based on peak Caleb Farley. Well, certainly that season. Um, so, uh, Nick, do you have any thoughts on that or you want to move on to the next question? Um, well, I mean, I kind of – you kind of touched on – I immediately thought about Michael Vick, like you said. I mean, he was only here for about a year and a half, if you include his injury, so the second year. Um, but then it's also kind of like the Joe Burrow story. Joe Burrow entering this previous season at LSU was projected to be a six-round draft pick at the end of the year. And then, obviously, we saw what LSU became, and they're maybe a top-five college football team of all time. And uh, Joe Burrow goes number one at the Bengals. So it's kind of like that Farley went from this guy where like, dang, this guy sucks. He can't tackle. He can't cover. He can't do anything to all of a sudden, holy cow. He's a first round draft pick. Yeah. He's the best corner in the country. Like what? So, I mean, it's, it's pretty identical to Joe Burrows. Obviously we're not going to win that championship by and beat Clemson by 17 points. But, uh, but I mean, it's like that turnaround that he had like Joe Burrow. So here's one of the one of the arguments being made for for playing football this year. Um, what if coronavirus happened last year, and Caleb Farley and the season got canceled, and Caleb Farley didn't get to play last year? Where would he be right now? It appears, you know, performance at the combine notwithstanding, we don't, we don't know how all that's going to unfold. It appears that he's going to be a first round draft pick, um, you know, next April. I think the NFL has said they're going to go ahead and you know, keep their draft on the usual schedule. Uh, if he's a first round draft pick, uh, I don't, I don't know my salary scales for the NFL, but he's about to get life changing money yeah. because he did get to play football last year. And so you, you brought up Joe Burrow and that's what made me think of that was where would Joe Burrow have had been if coronavirus happened last year? He um, even made a tweet. He was like, if this had happened the previous year, I'd probably be looking for a job right now. <laughs> Right, you know, and, and nobody would uh, would really know who he is, and and instead he's he's about to sign, get drafted, and sign for for life changing money. So, you know, one of the things that got left out of the earlier discussion was listening to so much radio the last week. Um, I didn't hear anybody say they shouldn't play. Now, granted, I'm listening to football meatheads who want to talk about football and play football. Of course, they want to play, but their whole commentary about the Big Ten was. Whoa, whoa, what changed? You roll your schedule out, you, you talk about your protocol, you say we're all in this together, let's give it our best shot, and then you cancel. And, uh, you know, the, the, the talking heads that discuss this stuff, somebody like Sally Jenkins is probably a, a, an exception, but people that cover sports are just kind of looking at the Big Ten going, uh, where'd that come from? Why didn't you hang in there a little while longer? Yeah, I mean, I think I thought the whole purpose of starting the season late and everything was to give ourselves a chance to see how things go, right? The Big Ten, they really didn't give themselves a chance to see how things go. They roll out the schedule, get everybody's hopes up, and then pull the rug right out from under them in a matter of days. Yeah, and, and so your next barrier you got to get through is, and UNC is already dealing with this, right? what's, what's going to be the effects when all the students come back and, you know, 
that that's why the, the conferences aren't starting until September 26th. They got a lot of time to deal with things. Mm -hmm. The ACC is under a little bit more pressure. They're under a little bit more pressure. Uh, you will see. I mean, I saw UVA players talking about the bubble that they had created with the, their own team in Charlottesville. And I, I don't know, I, I didn't read any article to get any details or anything like that, but apparently they're, they're, they're successful up there as far as having very few cases or no cases or whatever. Uh, and I've said, been saying for months now, I would have moved the tech team into the end and given every individual his own room. Mm. Well, that, that costs money. It wow. does cost money, but not playing football costs more money. Right? Just, and, you're, and you're dependent on everybody else doing something like that too, which isn't going to happen. Though, I, so. I just, I just feel like I know the NCAA doesn't have a lot of power, but at least they could have been vocal about, you know, suggesting what conferences and teams and everything like that do. But that's a slippery slope. I don't think we want to get into NCAA bashing because it's just too easy. <laughs> right. Um, so the the there are a lot of questions about. Um, and, and I don't know that I actually even want to talk about this because I think it's complicated and I don't have the answers. Um, if the season gets uh, canceled and pushed beyond the spring into next year, what happens with the scholarship situation? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, we've, we've <laughs> talked about that on the podcast before. And um, again, I think you're going to have, and this, you're going to have, you're going to have to have the NCAA provide some guidance like they did with spring sports. And that's one of the difficulties. And Chris, you talked about this, uh, I think, on the last podcast or in an article. What if the Big Ten and the Pac-12 don't play and the other three conferences do? What do you do with the players who had to skip a year? You know? Right. Does that mean Ohio State gets 110 scholarship players next year and their depth just lets them steamroll everybody? When yeah, they my the answer would be no. <laughs> but but how, could you, how could you say that to those kids, to those players? Right. I don't know. Um, right. So it, it, it's a mess. Now, I, I, the NCAA, I, I don't when they did decide something saying spring sport athletes will get an extra year or schools have the option to give them an extra year. Now, that that bothered some athletic departments because it was like it basically just said, OK, schools who have money and can afford to, to do it, they get a big depth advantage next year. But if if you can't afford it and you're not going to be able to, or, or and, and some schools are doing it like, like UVA, for example, is honoring those scholarships, but they're not increasing their budget. They're telling coaches of like, okay, the baseball team, okay, we're going to be the same money for scholarships and, and everything, but you, you know, you have to figure out how to spread it out amongst more players now. So let's say you're a freshman going to UVA and you got a 25% baseball scholarship. Well, now maybe you've only got a one eighth baseball scholarship so and what if somebody comes in at the last minute and they're like you know what i can afford to give you a quarter baseball scholarship could you do you lose could could you does that affect recruiting you know so the ncaa provided guidelines they, they said what they would allow you to do to do but they did not set any specific rules which bothered some schools yeah. but, but but i don't i don't see how they could have done it any different way though to be honest and so one last question we'll take explain the keep jumping options for 2020 explain um so nick let me go back to your notes on that because you took so item number one is really simple and and so we had a we had a, a request to explain them 
and a request to give the pros and cons of each one. Okay. So number one is convert your 2020 ticket purchase and per seat gift into a tax deductible donation for 2020 and receive five times the Hokie Club priority points for your gift. The advantage of that is you're helping out the athletic department and you feel good and you get a tax deductible donation. And you get, might get better seating for next season because your priority points go up. Right? Or higher, right. Yeah. The disadvantage is that, um, well, first of all, that tax deductible donation is worthless if your itemized deductions don't add up to the standard deduction. Right. And so this is an issue. I don't, I don't want to get down, and get down and into the minutia of things here. But I used to do itemized deductions every year back when my, my family's standard deduction was $12,000. And my itemized deductions were more than that. I think they were seventeen or eighteen thousand bucks. Well, now my family standard deduction is twenty-four thousand, and my itemized items are still only seventeen thousand. So I'm actually taking the standard deduction. Right. So the fact that it's tax deductible might be worthless to you. Right. I think that's really aimed at the big donors. Yes, where, where it will add up. It yeah. means nothing to me because um, yeah. I, I go through that when I do my taxes every year. And I plug it in the program and it tells me, it basically tells me whether I should do standardized or itemized deduction, right? And, yeah. it's, and it's every year it's standardized by a mile. So my donation doesn't even matter as far as tax deduction goes. Yeah. So, and, and of course the, um, uh, the disadvantage is you got to kind of, I guess, just get back on the train for next year because you've just told them to keep everything. Right. Um, right. So you have to make that same donation again next year. Yeah. Right. To stay on or, or at least a donation next year. So item number two is credit your, this is a mouthful, credit your <laughs> ticket purchase toward a prepaid account. Okay. I get that. That can be used to buy future football game tickets in 2020 or 2021. Okay. This year or next year while either leaving your per seat gift in 2020, earning five X priority points or by crediting your per seat gift towards 2021. The disadvantage to that is you have to read it 10 times to understand it. Uh, yes, and I, I kind of glaze over. Uh, yeah, I tell, yeah. I tell yeah. people all the time when I was young, I was smart. I'm not very smart anymore. Um, yeah, uh, so. I, I kind of ignored that one because I knew I wasn't going to go that route. <laughs> so, so we are bailing out on explaining <laughs> bailing, it or giving bailing you the pros and <laughs> Contact the Hokie Club or the Virginia Tech Ticket Office if you'd like further explanation of option number two. So I think that one is basically saying, like, can't you just, like, roll over your seats to next year? You can. Roughly, I believe, I believe very roughly. A, now, um, so it says leave your per seat gift in 2020 and earn five times the priority points. Well, that only matters if you're actually going to be able to buy tickets and sit in the stadium, I think, yeah. this year. Uh, I, I know. It's, it's, that one's a rough one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the last one is receive a refund on your ticket purchase and or per seat gift. Um, well, the advantages are you get money back in your pocket, yeah. which is which is very handy if you've been furloughed or suffered a job loss or something. Like, like I that. said earlier, it's like a second stimulus this year. Or it could be. It's, it's money back in your pocket that you weren't expecting. Yeah. The disadvantage, I guess, is all the, dis the what's written between the lines there is that if you get it back, then I believe you use lose consecutive years of giving. That's true. Right. But I don't know how much that matters. I'm not sure that really sways your hookah club ranking all that you, much. You, you lose consecutive years of being a season ticket holder, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I don't know how much that, that sways the rankings either. Like, I don't really care where I sit in the stadium. So that's not even a point for me. 
Um, and the other advantage of, of that, of course, is, I mean, you help Virginia Tech. Um, there's going to be yes. a lot of athletic departments up against it if there's no football season. There's going to be an, a lot of athletic departments up against it even if there is a football season. I mean, even if, even if there's a season and, but no fans are allowed in the stands, I mean, that's going to be like $20 million in ticket losses for Virginia Tech. Plus, yeah, yeah, Virginia Tech's football ticket sales and guarantees were uh, $19.7 million two right. years ago. So, so a lot of things are going to be different 12 months from now at Virginia Tech than they are right now, probably even so far as – who is employed and who isn't maybe even as far as what sports are offered and what aren't. Um, so, yeah, so, so let's, let me interrupt and drill down into that a little bit. I actually read this the other day. Um, the NCAA requires to be division one that you have seven men's sports and seven women's sports or six men's sports and eight women's sports. Well, and you have to have 16 total. But uh, see, right. that's that. I didn't read that. It, it it appeared that you only needed fourteen. I've heard the number okay. sixteen, but I didn't see that. Okay. Um, so Virginia Tech has something like twenty-one or twenty-two sports. Um, I don't know. I, I think you know the, the Hokie Club promotes itself by saying donate to the Hokie Scholarship Fund, so you know this women's soccer player and and that men's swimmer can get their scholarships to go to Virginia Tech. Um, I've always kind of somewhat cynically said, ah, they're getting their scholarships anyway. I'm not so sure that's true this time. Yeah, I don't think that's true this time around. I, I agree with that. Um, so if that's important to you, that, that, that's a reason to stay in there. To, 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 stay, to, to put some skin in the game or even more skin in the game, so to speak. Because, um, yeah. you know, and I don't want to put words in Whit Babcock's mouth, but from the very beginning of his tenure at Virginia Tech, he's talked about the student-athlete experience. Yep. He is a former student athlete experience. He, I, I bet he would tell you if you got a chance to him off the uh, chance to talk to him off the record that the absolute last thing he would ever want to do as an athletic director is to cut a sports program. Um, it is, you know, that they we've talked about this before. They went through this at Radford University where they cut two or three sports. Um, yeah. And from the outside looking in, it's very easy for us to say, hey, yeah, so what? It's just numbers on a ledger. Mm -hmm. But when you are the athletic director and the coach, you have to tell the coach he is no longer employed as your coach. Mm -hmm. And any athletic director, pardon the expression, with balls, Sandy Barber doesn't have them, but any male athletic director <laughs> who has them will not pass that down you know, through intermediaries, he will go stand in front of those teams and tell them himself that he has you've, made this decision. You've got to tell players, you know, we're not, you can't play here anymore. We're, your scholarship is honored for however long you've got left in school, but you're not going to be playing any games for us anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's extremely difficult to do. Yeah, especially for a guy who was a college athlete yeah. like, like Witt and not just an accountant who needs to, to make the, the, the numbers balance. And, and Witt was a baseball player. Like if, if any sport was going to get cut at JMU, it would be a men's sport and it would be something like baseball or soccer or something like that. So Witt knows, looks back and said, man, if JMU had had to cut sports when I was in school, I would have been on the chopping block. Could right? Been, yeah. 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 Um, all right, so I, I think that's it. Uh, Nick, you got anything else you want to add or, or go over? Um, Follow us on Twitter, and now that the Instagram is up and running again, 
Uh, yes. Follow that. So, so let me jump in there and pimp your work, man. Um, Nick is now running our Instagram account for us. Uh, shocker, it's at Tech Sideline on Instagram. I know that comes as a big surprise. Um, so uh, if you're not following us on Instagram, follow us. And uh, really appreciate Nick volunteering to do that because I don't know, man, I just, you know, that's just not in my wheelhouse. It's not how I roll and, and you understand it way better. So we really appreciate that. Yeah, so uh, definitely give it a follow. Um, I guess I it, it's not daily, but it's it's close to daily posting and content, especially when the actual season starts up. Um, but yeah, give it a follow. Follow on Twitter, Facebook, everything. Obviously. Evan Hughes just texted saying he's on the bus as we speak. So Evan's league up there is a bus league, like minor league baseball, like Bull Durham. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so so if we forgot to mention Evan. I, I have in my notes to mention Evan earlier. I didn't talk about him, right? I don't know. Uh, I don't remember. Rough. Maybe rough. So like like hey, Nick's, <laughs> if, Yeah, so if you're still 80, 84 minutes in, I think, if you're still listening, uh, don't worry about Evan. He's okay. He has not disappeared Jimmy Hoffa style. He just um, – so Evan, Evan, you know, calls for the St. Cloud Rocks, which is a baseball league up there, right? Yeah. And um, – it, it's the same story every year. The season runs so late that, that Evan, like, he, the plane lands. He runs off the tarmac and runs the class here at Virginia Tech. There's just, like, no time. He so, doesn't have to worry about that this year, does he? I'm uh, <laughs> wrong there. That's, that's correct. He has to run to his apartment and log on. <laughs> and so we expect uh, uh, Evan back with us. Um, uh, I do not know when we will be in the Tech Sideline set again doing things that way i think for the time being we need to we need to do them this way even with nick's negative coronavirus test well, you know we gotta we gotta do things the right way so anyway appreciate everybody listening and yeah thanks again to jonathan fisher and uh appreciate y'all uh listening and downloading the podcast tell your friends about it and uh we'll see you next time